shadows loom across the waters of California's coast. From the air, it is hard to tell what they could be. However, from the surface of the water, the shadows become forests. Forests of giant kelp, the largest plants in the ocean. Their massive leaves wave and dance just under the surface of the water. These beautiful ocean trees hidden from the outside world are known as the redwoods of the sea. Amazingly, the giant kelp do not need an unbending trunk to keep themselves standing. Tiny balloon-like floats along the stem of the plant are enough to hold them up. They are chained to the ocean floor by holdfasts, which are much like roots. However, nourishment for the kelp does not come from these holdfasts. Instead, the water itself provides all the necessary nutrients for the plant. Despite their breathtaking size, the giant kelp is not exempt from danger. Even these towering sentinels have their enemies. Enemies in the form of spiny little legions called sea urchins. Sea urchins are voracious and numerous and can strip the ocean bare, setting whole forests adrift by devouring the giant kelp's holdfasts. By nature's design, however, urchins also have their share of enemies to keep the ecosystem balanced. One such enemy of the sea urchin, and the star of our show today, is the adorable sea otter. The urchins eat the kelp, the otters eat the urchins, and the giant kelp forests return. Life in its perfect circle. Journey with us through the silent undersea world as we focus on these merry furry sprites, the endangered southern sea otter. I'm Anna Vanover, and this is Rise for Wildlife. When we started working on this program, we had many questions that needed answers. So we reached out to the Aquarium of the Pacific, located in Long Beach, California. They introduced us to mammologist Erin Lundy. Her day sounds something like this. So in our northern Pacific habitat at the Aquarium of the Pacific, we have two adult female sea otters and three sea otter pups. The pups are now about five months old, and these guys are starting to get to the age where they no longer need to be with an adult female mom. Along with explaining about the otters to large groups of smitten aquarium visitors, her function is to care for the marine mammal collection, coordinate the intern and enrichment programs, assist with veterinary procedures, and much more. First, we wanted to know more about the different sea otters, 
and why the southern otters are endangered. We found out that in California, where the southern otters live, the decrease in population was due primarily to hunting. Aaron Lundy. So sea otters used to have one large unbroken range from even down to Mexico, all the way up the California coast, Oregon, Washington, Canada, Alaska, and then across the Aleutian Island chain into Russia and Japan. And we used to have sea otters all along the Pacific Rim, and it was just this one population of animals. However, they were hunted pretty extensively in the 1800s that fragmented those populations into four distinct subspecies. And so over time, when you breed enough and you've been isolated enough, you become a different subspecies. And behaviorally, they've changed a little bit. And size-wise, they're a little bit smaller than northern sea otters and Russian sea otters and Japanese sea otters. These sea otters were hunted so extensively, specifically here in California, that at one point they think there was only about 30 left that lived in the Morro Bay area. And hunting of sea otters was banned in 1911 when the International Fur Treaty was signed. And that essentially said, hey, let's not hunt these animals anymore for their fur because their fur is so dense and luxurious that it became a luxury trade item and people could get a lot of money for them. So primarily it's been the fur trade that really decimated their numbers and broke them down to only about 30 here in California. Northern sea otters fared a little bit better and um, were less affected by that hunting up in Alaska. And we did see Russian and Japanese sea otters face similar issues with fur hunting. Hunting is not the only thing that has endangered the southern sea otter. A primary threat to them now is the risk of oil spills. When oil comes in contact with the fur of the otter, it causes the fur to mat. This matting prevents the insulation needed for the otter to avoid hypothermia. Not only that, when the otter attempts to clean itself, the ingestion of the toxic chemicals from the oil can cause liver, kidney, and severe damage to their lungs and eyes. In the early 1980s, an attempt to rebuild the population of southern otters was made. The United States Fish and Wildlife Service relocated many of them to San Nicolas Island, the most remote of the Channel Islands in Ventura County, California. Unfortunately, the population of otters did not grow as expected. Some 30 years later, in 2012, the relocation was deemed a failure. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service decided to leave the otters that were relocated to the island in fear that, if moved, many would die. Interestingly, even though the relocation was considered a failure, the otter population on San Nicolas Island continues to grow. Studies show that the population has increased by an average of 10% per year over the last 10 years. In 2019, the Fish and Wildlife Service said there were around 100 otters on the island. While it is a small triumph that a population of otters on San Nicolas remain, their numbers are still far below what is necessary to remove them from the endangered list. Hunting and oil spills have significantly decreased the southern otter population. Yet, tragically, these aren't the only things that contribute to their dwindling numbers. Once again, mammologist Aaron Lundy. Uh, 
Um, here in California, we sometimes get red algae blooms as well, and that can be caused by a lot of nutrients washing into the water and causing an abnormal amount of red algae. And some people know it as demoic acid toxicity, but essentially this red algae creates a toxin that can be a neurotoxin for these animals and other marine mammals that live in the area. And specifically, those toxins bioaccumulate in things like clams and mussels and things that sea otters like to eat because those animals are filter feeders. And so they end up with this abnormal amount of this toxin and that can cause seizures and issues as well. So there's unfortunately a few things that sea otters are combating right now that have contributed to their status on the endangered species list, but hopefully we can sort of balance everything out and continue to grow their population. Hunting, oil spills, red algae blooms, and one more to add to the list of threats to the otter population, sharks. According to a 2017 report by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, mortality from shark bites could be a contributor to the declining count in otter populations. We'll be right back. With this episode, the Southern Sea Otter, Rise for Wildlife is offering a special thank you gift just for our followers. A limited edition signed print of an original painting by Anna Vanover. It represents the endangered sea otters whose lives have been saved because of the programs that have been implemented by organizations like the Aquarium of the Pacific and support from listeners like you. For your donation of $35 or more, Rise for Wildlife will send you free of charge an 8x10 print of the Southern Sea Otter. You can see it now by visiting Rise for Wildlife's Facebook page. This is a hand-signed and numbered print of an original painting by Anna Vanover and is authenticated by an embossed Rise for Wildlife Incorporated seal. To get one of these very limited prints, simply go to Rise for Wildlife on Facebook and follow the PayPal link to make your donation. Please use the keywords Sea Otter in the PayPal notes section along with your name and shipping information. Remember, your donation is completely tax deductible and you will receive a receipt for your records enclosed with your print. Further, your donation will help to support a licensed wildlife rehabilitator. Enjoy this special gift while also helping those who help wildlife. Thank you. No, you're not misunderstanding what you're hearing. It is a crow. Crows, as we have learned, are one of the few animals that use tools to help them when hunting for food. Another is the sea otter. They too use tools when hunting for food, as explained by mammologist Aaron Lundy. They are one of the animals that has been shown to be intelligent enough for tool usage. And if you think about what sea otters are primarily eating, they eat hard-shelled items like a crab or a lobster. 
And so what they can do is actually carry around a rock with them and use that to smash open those hard-shelled food items. So occasionally sea otters will have a preferred rock or tool that they'll keep with them. And they actually do have pockets that they can keep their tool in. And that would be under either side of their arms. They have a flap of skin that acts like a big pocket and they can store things in there. They'll use it when they're diving to collect multiple food items, put it in their pocket and bring it to the surface and then work through eating while at the surface. And then they can use that tool to smash open things like a crab or a mussel. Here's an interesting bit of information about the tool-using sea otter. Scientists have begun to apply the same archaeological approach on sea otters as they do on learning about the human past. They are discovering new insights into these furry babies that have an appetite for snacks that come in shells. According to the Journal of Scientific Reports, researchers observed southern sea otters performing their daily task of smashing shells with stones along the California coast. Then, they would analyze the wear and tear on the stones and shells that were left nearby. By examining the otters' discarded mussel shells, it was discovered that consistent cracks were found along the same side of the shells. This led researchers to conclude that most of the otters at that particular site were right-handed. Not only that, the study goes on to say that the size of the shell deposits and the wear and tear on the rocks provides researchers the ability to estimate how long the otters have been feeding at a particular site. Mammalogist Aaron Lundy explained to us that discovering these findings could provide more information about how long otters have used tools. She said it could also explain why southern sea otters are more likely to use tools than other otter subspecies, like the northern sea otters. It is evident that the sea otter is important to marine life. In fact, it has such an impact on its environment that it is considered a keystone species. Once again, Erin Lundy. So sea otters eat a ton of food. That's part of what makes them so important to their environment is they need to eat about 25% of their body weight every day. An adult southern sea otter can weigh up to 60 to 70 pounds, so that's not an insignificant amount of food. And all of that food gets metabolized mostly into body heat because they live in cold water and they don't have blubber like other marine mammals, they just have this thick fur. So those two combinations of things keep the sea otters warm and alive in the ocean and also mean that they have this huge appetite for marine invertebrates, specifically sea urchins. And so sea otters will eat so many sea urchins that their teeth and bones will eventually be stained purple because they need to continuously eat and eat just to survive throughout the day. And as it turns out, sea urchins have a favorite food as well, which is the holdfast of the kelp, which anchors it to the seafloor. So when there's a lot of urchins around, they will eat all of those kelp anchoring parts and all the kelp will float away and it will totally destroy the kelp ecosystem. And so sea otters basically keep the sea urchin population in check by eating so many of them and prevent the kelp forest from being destroyed. It is true that otters are media-friendly personalities. No doubt they seem to love being on stage. But beyond all their outward hilarity, they serve crucial functions within their ecosystems. As we've heard, they keep the prolific sea urchin population in check which directly supports a healthy kelp forest that in turn benefits many other forms of sea life. We would like to thank the Aquarium of the Pacific and mammalogist Aaron Lundy for taking the time to talk with us. 
At the end of our interview, we ask Aaron one last question. What can our listeners do to help? So I think it is important for people to recognize that this species of animal is not just a cute species of animal, but is also sort of just what's holding our kelp forest ecosystem together. The presence of sea otters indicates a healthy kelp forest ecosystem, and the kelp forest we have here in California is home to thousands and thousands of different species and promotes this incredible biodiversity. So we do want sea otters around because they are helping out, and the best way that listeners can help and help out with our sea otters is number one, admire them from afar. As they are on the endangered species list, you can't really approach them anyway. Not that you would want to, related to badgers, wolverines, not the friendliest animal to approach. Um, And also approaching them can disrupt their normal behavior. Uh, There have been incidences of people feeding sea otters off their boats. That's inappropriate because it teaches them sort of the wrong thing, to look for food from people. And so appreciate them from a distance, I think is the best thing you can do if you see a sea otter. Additionally, if you pay taxes in California, there's a little box you can check if you pay state taxes that say donate to the California Sea Otter Fund. And that fund actually goes directly into research on sea otter mortalities that strand along the coast and also how to improve the habitat for the existing sea otters. So that is something that you can do if you live in California. And the other thing you can do is support institutions that are doing these rescue and surrogacy programs for sea otter pups. On average, there seems to be about 12 to 15 sea otter pups per year that strand, and so we want to make sure that there is capacity for all of those animals that can go back out into the ocean. Although I love having sea otters here, my biggest dream would be that all the sea otters live out in the ocean and keep our kelp forest healthy. So those would be the main three things I would say you can do to help. Rise for Wildlife and the licensed rehabilitators who we support would like to thank you for your gift of any size. Your tax-deductible contribution helps us to help rescuers through information, support, and education. You can make your donation on PayPal by going to paypal.me backslash riseforwildlifeinc. That's all one word, lowercase, no spaces paypal.me backslash riseforwildlifeinc. Rise for Wildlife Incorporated is a 501c3 nonprofit organization.